You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. This One Nation Conservative government has been given a powerful new mandate to get Brexit done. I will discuss with our party to ensure there is a process now of reflection on this result and on the policies that the party will take. This is so unique an outcome. There's never been a party that's gone to the country for the fourth time of asking and increased its standing in Parliament. There is a clear desire and endorsement for the notion that Scotland should not be landed with a Boris Johnson government and ripped out of Europe against our will. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salik. And a very good afternoon. I'm Roger Hearing, and we're bringing you some noise, first of all, about the Labour leadership uh, campaign, because we do now have a date. The the leader will be announced on April the 4th. Yep. And we also have, we think, the final list of candidates, pretty much. We do. We're down to six now, aren't we? It's a big crowd. And no doubt we'll get whittled down when they've got to get nominations and the rest of it. But the latest one is Rebecca Long-Bailey. She's been rumoured, rumbling for, for, for a little while now, but now she's formally entered the race. She's defending the outgoing leader, Jeremy Corbyn, saying that she's passionate about the party's agenda. I'm nobody's continuity candidate, that's for sure. I'm not driven by my own personal ambition. I'm driven by my principles and my my willingness and wanting to develop our policy so that we can transform our country and our regions and nations. Well, Long Bailey made that announcement in an article for the Tribune magazine, and she joins Keir Starmer, Emily Thornbury, Clive Lewis, Lisa Nandy, and Jess Phillips, as far as we know in the contest. And as I said, it's all going to end on the 4th of April, and we will see how it all plays out. We've got a long campaign ahead, but joining us now is Bloomberg's Adam Blenford, who's an editor on our Brexit Bulletin newsletter. Adam, thanks for being with us. Um, in, the Labour leadership, I suppose, is going to be a very lengthy procedure. Is it going to be one that actually gets to the heart of what the problem was for the Labour Party, do you think? That is the key question. Uh, You know, that's the question that over the Christmas period and in the early stages of this contest, um, observers of the Labour Party are trying to find out whether the the declared candidates and the, the, the final candidates who've now have now come out are going to look. The argument in Labour is about where they look as much as what they do. You know, um, Rebecca Long Bailey's come out today and talked about um, the policies being, uh, you know, the strategy being misunderstood and the policies not being too much of a problem. Didn't really sort of mention Brexit in her, her launch article, um, her campaign article. Um, others talking about root and branch change. And there's been a lot of navel gazing around that over the last sort of month since that election 
defeat. So it, it's the question of where what appeals to the members. And remember, it's a member-driven vote, 300,000 or, or so members. Um, you know, what appeals to them? What's what's the driving ideology that will get them in? And, and that party uh, very strongly backed Jeremy Corbyn twice, remember, in, in, uh, in a leadership elections in the past. So does that mean that Rebecca Long-Bailey, now she's in the race, seen by many as the natural successor, has got it in the bag? Who knows? She's certainly got a chance, but 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 judging by the the history of the membership joining up, backing Corbyn, um, uh, and uh, the Labour Party's seen a bit of a departure of moderate members. It's 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 a different place than it was at the time when Ed Miliband uh, beat, if you remember, his brother David Miliband, another leadership contest, um, and different uh, different a different party than when even when Corbyn took over. So. There's some sense that the institutional heft of the party may be behind her, but there, there are a, a number of other candidates and it, it will be a long race. Well, I was going to say there was the YouGov poll that put Keir Starmer ahead very quickly, a long way ahead with members. Um, and I guess that might reflect perhaps a public view as well. Will that influence the way people look at it? Do you think they go, oh, well, he looks like he's out ahead, looks like he could win, perhaps we'll back him for that reason? Again, it's fascinating to see whether the Labour whether Labour members look at the concept of winning an election or ideological purity. Keir Starmer, uh, his his launch video was very interesting because while he's seen as a kind of slick pro-Remain uh, politician, former director of public prosecutions, you know, man of the bar. Um, his video was really stressing how he spent years and years and years representing working people, defending the miners, defending the small person, the small man and woman against big corporate interests. And he'd never been in an office until he was eighteen or something. Right, um, and it's a you bit know, Python-esque in some ways. Isn't it? Well, you know, he's just he's he's obviously trying to win an election uh, where the, the membership are, you know, that the wider Labour membership, um, they're the electorate. Um, uh, so. Uh, you know he's he's got a very good chance um but similarly as i said um the 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 corbyn agenda won out twice before so it depends on where that membership are they are they are they going for an an electoral an electoral win or electoral reform within their party or are they uh still starry-eyed about the policies of of the corbyn era and what about anti-semitism the black dog of labor what's that most links to is it corbyn is it corbynism or is it the wider party um, good question. Um, the criticism of Corbyn was always that he uh, sort of enabled enabled it right. or, through his through his through his words, or that he he didn't put strictures in place which cracked down on anti-Semitic um, anti-Semitic comments and posts by activists. Um, it, it's hard to say. You know, it's it's been an issue within with a seam within uh, the left for for quite some time. Um, the, the really fascinating thing will be to see whether a different leader takes a different tone. You know, Jeremy Corbyn was sort of consistently reluctant to to he apologised, but his words didn't go far enough for Jewish representatives. And whether that was a and whether that um, acted as a, a, a enough of a disincentive to to those who were uh, you know sort of speaking out online, particularly. And Adam, bring you back onto to home ground, I suppose, in a way, Brexit was what many on the left said was the real reason they, they lost. It wasn't anything else. Uh, is Brexit basically a dead issue, do you think, now for the Labour Party? They move on, they'll go somewhere else. Is it, is it killed now? We certainly saw Jess Phillips, who's another one of the candidates, who, who, who was pro-Remain, um, 
kind of coming out clearly at the weekend and trying to make sure that everybody understood that she wouldn't be going for a second referendum and Keir Starmer saying, you know, a second referendum has now been killed. So I, I, I think Labour will be wanting to try and move on from this. Um, if Boris Johnson and the Conservatives are now m- moving on and trying to concentrate on investing money in Northern England and those seats that they won from Labour back in December, um, Labour are going to have to come up with a, a policy programme and a kind of intellectual you know, uh, framework for uh, going ahead that, that can counteract whatever it is that Johnson's Tories put on the radar. Okay, so that's Labour. Uh, let's move it on because we've also got a date for the budget. It's going to be the 11th of March. The Chancellor, Sajid Javid, saying it will reveal how the country will take advantage of what he calls the huge opportunities of Brexit, as well as some other areas. How are we going to help hardworking people in particular, uh, especially with the cost of living, and how we're going to level up across the entire country, spread opportunity, including with more investment, including fantastic infrastructure projects. Now, it's interesting because the, the Treasury says it'll make good on pledges to cut tax and revamp fiscal rules. And that bit's the second bit that's really important because it means they can increase borrowing for infrastructure investment. And a lot of people who went for the Johnson list, uh, those who'd never voted Tory before, a lot of it was based on, yes, he's going to spend lots. He's going to, particularly in the North, it's all going to happen. Uh, and I suppose the corollary is that some of this will be the payoff for Brexit. You know, all the, the bus with the, the 350,000 on the side. Part of this is the money coming back to Britain. I mean, are they going to be able to make good with this? Well, it's we're, we're in an era of historically low borrowing. So the government, as you say, loosening those fiscal rules, moving away while they're keeping a commitment to balance the day-to-day budget. They're, they're, they're looking at opening up headroom to be able to borrow something like up to 20 billion a year um, that can be used for capital projects. So so in a sense, there's, and of course, the, the voter who is not paying attention to politics and is not reading the balance sheets and the, the line items in the budget is not technically, um, it doesn't really matter to um, in day-to-day life whether funds that flow into your area come from um, uh, an e- uh, funds released from leaving the European Union or funds that weren't released from the European Union, funds lost or, 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 or public investment. I mean, in the end, it's always about the pound in the pocket and it's about the viability of the business and it's about whether the bus service works. And, you know, uh, so in the end, the, the Conservatives will have to deliver results and then keep the economy on 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 a level on a level playing field you know you're talking there about tax cuts um, not pledge certainly pledging not to raise key levels of uh, taxation uh, personal taxation so that will be the challenge in order to keep keep the funds flowing but ultimately we're going to see borrowing here is this going to the conservative party really turning a corner and becoming a different uh, a different organization or are they just sort of reacting to what the current situation demands it's certainly it's certainly a change from decades of painting themselves as in that sort of Thatcherist uh, image as a, as a low taxation party, sort of first and foremost, uh, low, low taxation, um, you know, balanced budget. Um, it, it will be a sea change, but things are really different now. You know, they, they just won seats in places where um, all political, previous political logic suggested that they couldn't win seats and that they're going to have to try and keep that coalition together in order to stay in office in five years' time. So um, it's kind of an imperative Adam, just very briefly, is is Brexit, the next 11 months, can actually cost more as well to pile on further onto this? Are we actually going to be paying out, do you think, in this period? 
Well, the costs associated with the EU withdrawal, um, I don't actually have them in hand, but they are, you know, they have been modelled. We're still obviously in the realms of projections. Um, we're, We're going into this transition period where we're going to be contributing still during that time to the EU budget. So the so UK contributions to the EU will only end at the end of uh, mm. 2020. Um, and then, of course, uh, you know, the, the cost will be impacted by whether there are trade barriers or obstacles to business yeah. afterwards that may or may not affect um, inflows to the UK economy. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Let's have a talk about the Brexit agreement because it's being debated in Parliament this week. Uh, Second round of debates should go all the way through, we think, by the end of the week, and then UK leaves the EU by July the 31st. So the logjam has been broken in that sense. Businesses, of course, will be watching very closely for any hints on what's to come in the post-Brexit trade deal. And this comes as a new global survey by the US National Bureau of Economic Research showed that both the UK and non-UK businesses over overwhelmingly expect negative consequences from Brexit. Let's now talk to our guest for this part of the programme, Adam Marshall, Director General of the British Chambers of Commerce. Uh, Adam, welcome. Thank you very much for being with us. Um, Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Let me ask you first, are you concerned by what will happen in terms of EU norms, the ways that British business has got used to dealing with things, the standards, all these kind of things, that, that essentially these, those will begin to change and that's going to complicate matters? Uh, yes, of course, there are concerns out there in business community uh, about how this detail will start to change. Um, I think what dismayed businesses most of all over the last three and a half years or so is that the politics of all this is even very top level, when in fact for them it's the details that matter to their operation. Now, as we enter into this new process of negotiation, that detail is going to very much come to the fore. And yes, we're going to be having conversations about things like industrial standards, um, about things like regulation, how goods cross borders, all of these nitty-gritty things that really matter to businesses, uh, but don't necessarily always register at Westminster. But in terms of the actual relationship then, if we get something that's very different from what happens now, is that something that the businesses you represent are concerned about? Well, it, it depends, of course, on the sector of business, and it also depends on uh, how much any change can be mitigated. Um, what all of our businesses say to us is they'd like to see a comprehensive agreement in place as quickly as possible. Um, you know, there is concern out there uh, that another cliff edge could come into view on the 31st of December. Businesses emphatically do not want that. They do want to see uh, the smoothest possible transition to a new relationship. Because what you don't want to see at the end of the day is companies trading here in the UK having multiple changes to the sorts of business conditions that they face. Uh, that means money that they're having to put into responding to those changes that they then can't spend elsewhere, whether it's on training up people, increasing productivity, or in fact buying new kit. Now, Adam, I mean, Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister, famously had a, a rather rude expletive about business at one point. There's some question marks as to how much he cares about business going forward. Have you spoken to him? Well, of course, we're speaking to uh, people across the government. Uh, I have not spoken to the Prime Minister myself uh, in, in recent weeks. 
Um, but we That's are... a bit surprising, isn't it? I mean, considering what's at stake. Uh, no, of course, you know, their, their administration is getting into place and we've had the Christmas holidays as well. But our conversations across government are ongoing. We're speaking to a number of senior cabinet ministers um, and, of course, to leading civil servants as well. There's a huge amount uh, to get through here. And we do need that reassurance and that sense that government is four square behind British business. So when the Chancellor of the Exchequer, for example, um, announced that his budget is going to take place on the 11th of March, uh, what we need to see in that budget is an emphatic gesture from the government uh, in favor of our business communities. That means lowering some of the upfront costs that businesses are facing, really putting more money into capital investment, transport and digital infrastructure, and, and of course, giving businesses as much clarity as possible about the shape of economic management they're going to see ahead. And um, do, All do of that is ahead of us. Do you trust Johnson and the wider government to do that? Because that is a word that comes up a lot when we talk about the prime minister. Look, we have business communities up and down the country that have to work with the government of the day, whatever party they are formed by, whatever individuals they are formed by. We will continue to do that with this government, as we have with all previous ones. Um, what really matters to those companies is what happens on the ground. If we are told that there's going to be uh, an extra $20 billion of infrastructure spending, we want to make sure that that money is very quickly allocated and the delivery starts so businesses can gain confidence from what they see as, as, as things actually happening on the ground, whether that's new housing, uh, roads, railways, broadband, etc. That's really what we need to see. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I've lost count of the number of uh, events I've been at with business communities, uh, you know, all around the UK, where they said we don't want to engage in sort of the Westminster political battle anymore. We want to do things. Uh, we want to move ahead, and we want to see results. And that's what they're really expecting from this. But the but the problem in all this, Adam, up to now, you've been a, a pretty much united church. I mean, all of your members pretty much have wanted the same thing. But now we're into a, a phase where their interests are going to diverge, aren't they? Well, we've always noted that there is diversity in our business communities, both in their views on, on Brexit, right back to the referendum, um, and on what sort of relationship the UK should have in future with the EU. It's no secret that there are some sectors, particularly in, in, in areas of manufacturing, and, and of course then particular regions of the UK that would be interested in a closer relationship in, in the future. There will be others that uh, will be interested in what the potential for regulatory freedom from the EU might bring. You know, acknowledging that diversity is, I think, incredibly important. Business has never been monolithic, and it's not about to start being monolithic now. And what about the timetable? You said you were hoping for a comprehensive deal, but as we know, there were really not a long time to do this, seven months in reality, once you account for all the things that need to happen, both on the EU and UK side. Do you think that's going to that's gonna come through? Well, of course, this is a timetable that's not been set by us in business. It is a timetable which seems to be extremely compressed. Um, you know, we want to see as much progress as possible made during the time that is available. But again, as I said previously, what we don't want to see are big cliff edges or big, big swings in this. We so should Johnson be prepared to extend? 
We need to, the amount of time that's necessary to get a good deal uh, for the future so that businesses can continue trading. I yeah. think that's really, really important, and it's got to be the top priority. But, Adam, I, I've been speaking to people in, in business who said it's likely that there could be a deal on goods in the time available. Services is a much bigger deal, and that's going to split your members because one lot might say, okay, we'll have that sorted by the end of the year, and the others say, well, that leaves us high and dry. I mean, that's a possibility, isn't it? Well, you know, there are issues, of course, that unite both uh, goods businesses and services businesses as well. One in particular is the question around mobility. Um, imagine if you're a manufacturing business that offers services contracts out to companies in Europe, and you wonder whether one of your engineers can go fix a piece of kit that you've installed for a customer on the continent in future. These are the sorts of practical questions that unite and affect both uh, big sectors of uh, the, the trading business community, both services and goods. So I, I, I think there are things that we will have to fight for that, that go literally straight across the business community uh, rather than divide it into pieces. And finally, Adam, looking past the EU, how important is a US trade deal to your members? Surely that's something that's going to be on Boris Johnson's mind as he deals with the crisis in the Middle East. Well, we've long been on record as saying that sorting out our trading arrangements with the European Union as our uh, biggest uh, trading partner and uh, also geographically the closest one is the top priority that our members have. Uh, we've also said that getting continuity agreements with other countries where we've had EU deals is important. Um, and then we can raise our eyes to, to other countries. Businesses are much more worried um, about uh, the potential trade access they could lose or the, the potential trade access that become more expensive or more difficult than they are uh, necessarily uh, excited about the hypotheticals they might get elsewhere. The top priority really is settling the ship and sorting out some of these existing relationships. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.